0: All right, welcome back to The Daily Dose. As always, it's Nathan and Kinsey, and we're back with another guest this week, and I'm going to let Kinsey go ahead and introduce him.
1: Yeah, so our guest this week is Professor Jackson. He is currently one of my professors. I'm taking his English 439 class, fiction and mental health. Um, but Professor Jackson is a very highly accomplished academic. His specialty is the study of literature, antebellum literature, 18th century Atlantic literature, and the history of book and authorship. He has also published way too many books for me to read out right now, but it was a really long list, which is awesome. Uh, but the reason we wanted to bring him in to talk to us today is because of that class I'm in, fiction and mental health. It has been absolutely One of the best classes I've ever taken here at USC, Um, and I'm a junior, so I've taken a lot of classes, a lot of English classes. Um, But in the class, we talk a lot about just mental health in general, a lot of different mental illnesses, all in the framework of literature. Like, we will read a book that focuses on a specific topic. Usually, it's, it's sort of a biography or written from the perspective with someone who's going through, you know, some sort of mental illness. Um, which has been really great, it gives a lot of perspective. And I always say that that class is like free therapy for me because the classmates and the professor, everything, just amazing. Um, so that's why we brought him on today, but I will go ahead and let you introduce yourself a little bit.
2: Uh, hey, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Kenzie and Nate, it's, it's just really uh, nice to be here. Uh, so my name is Leon Jackson, and I'm an associate professor of English here at USC I've been teaching here for 21 years and um, as Kenzie mentioned, my kind of great passion right now is just teaching about uh, about mental health um, and also just teaching about what it means to be um, alive and how to, how to thrive in, in, the, in the 21st century.
1: Which is often a very hard topic to talk about, which is why I think it's so great that we've managed to cover it so cohesively in class. Um, but in class, we've talked a lot about depression, anxiety, cognitive distortions, and most recently we focused a lot on um, bipolar disorder, bipolar depression, which you have taught absolutely phenomenally. Um, but out of all of the varying mental illnesses, which do you think coming from your perspective, is the hardest to talk about and why?
2: Uh, it's a great question, Kenzie. Um, and I think there are a number of different ways of, of, of answering this. So the first, way I, the first thing I'd, I'd say is, without a question, the hardest mental illness to talk about is depression if you have it because part of the nature of depression is that you don't want to communicate and um, you don't feel motivated to connect. Um, And one of the very cruel things about depression, right, is that the things you know you need to do to get out of it are precisely the things that it's hardest to actually do. So, um, you know, in, in, in most kind of experiential writings and clinical writings about depression you, you, you will see people who suffer from it Um, and people who are trying to treat it struggle to just get a handle on what it is and how to put it into words um, which can create beautiful literature but can be a kind of a therapeutic nightmare so um, I'd say that depression is probably one that is hardest to talk about if you're experiencing it but the other answer i'd give is uh um anything that involves shame um and anything that involves stigma um whether it's uh trauma of a physical or sexual or emotional abuse type situation or um whether it's an eating disorder or a body image disorder um uh, or, or an addiction um there's so much stigma around the pain that we experience that um you know the range of things that people find it harder impossible to talk about or even acknowledge are happening it just you know just runs the gamut um, A lot of resistance yeah
1: yeah i think we've talked about that a lot on our podcast kind of like how it can be so hard to talk about things but why that is so important
0: well well, we talk about how it's like it's kind of like a self-fulfilling cycle like you talk about you know with depression just like you brought up like the hardest part about depression is talking about it with someone else bringing someone else into the fold of that vulnerability Which, like, it's not, it's never a question of not knowing what, never necessarily a question of, like, not knowing what to do, which I guess can happen sometimes, but it's more like the willingness to, like, break that cycle, but at the same time, and then you brought up, brought up shame a lot, like, like, that gets, like, factored into it, and we we talked about a lot, you know, there are certain people that, like, if you are going through that, you know, that sort of cycle, and, like, you're ready to, you know, kind of take that first step and to actually acknowledge it and to talk to someone about it, to, like, and, and what I've talked about before is a lot of times it's, like, really good to just get, like, to, to vocalize kind of what you're going through. Because a lot of times, you know, like, like I feel like your brain skips over certain things that you're used to. So, but, like, like a lot of times when I vocalize what's going on, it's like, oh, wait, that's how I feel. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, yeah we, we definitely talk about, like, depression is one obviously one of the things that we talk about a lot.
1: Yeah, and I think especially with our age range and college kids in general I think the shame part is a huge aspect because mm-hmm. you know the 20 your 20s are supposed to be the time of your life and you know I turn 21 in 3 weeks and it's supposed to be the time of my life and I'm out here you know living and doing all these great things and just being happy and partying and etc 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 and it can feel very shameful to admit that you're struggling especially in with our age and with like social media and mm. we talked about that before like the highlight reel and how a lot of people put on such a, a front or an image and you think everyone else is doing perfectly fine and you feel so much shame about, you know, not being in with the crowd and not being okay. Um, but that's why, you know, talking about it is so important because everyone's struggling just as much as we are um, and it's when you, you talk about it, which is the hardest part, like we said, but when you talk about it, it everyone else wants to talk about it too and then you break that cycle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I actually had a question for for y'all. You said you think that it's especially hard for, uh, you know, folks uh, y'all's age and, you know, college students and, and uh, I love that phrase, like the highlight reel, you know, like how life looks on Insta as opposed to like the messy reality. But the thing that's really struck me, um, you know, teaching this class on fiction and mental health is in fact how incredibly willing people are to talk about uh, what's going on in, in their lives. So um, I'm kind of curious, what is it that you think makes college students who do want to talk about mental health willing to talk about it And, you know, would you say that y'all are outliers or kind of typical? No, I mean, I
1: think
0: I wouldn't say I wouldn't say typical because we talk about it a lot, (laughs) way more than the average person, which is great. But um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for k- kids our age, it's tougher to talk about, obviously, because you know, I mean, there is kind of a stig- stigma about it. I mean, for go- for college guys, especially, it's kind of a it's kind of a show of weakness. So I'm mean, I'm in a fraternity as well. So kid, uh, guys, my fraternity, I, I mean, I'm not going to presume, but you know, maybe not having as many of these conversations as as they should be having, and um, obviously, like I talk about it, I I, t- I try to promote it, but. As a, I mean, as a whole, I think people are getting better. I think people are getting better at talking about it and opening up about it just because of the necessity these days. I think days. it's
1: the the growing prevalence of things yeah. like your class and, you know, Stigma-Free USC Week. Um, personally, and I always feel so bad that Nate's not in this class because I talk about it all the time and he has no idea what's going on. But um, I think a lot of, because like you said, our class that you teach is very open. We've had phenomenal conversations. I mean, we're out here and we have a group meet with all of us in it and it's even more open. Like we're always just talking, talking, talking about everything and very open. I think part of that comes into play. I think this could be generalized too to everyone nowadays is how online we all are because of the pandemic. I think if like the class we were in was in person, I think there'd be a little more resistance because people are there they're not hiding behind I mean even if our cameras are on you know you're still not sitting right next to someone feeling their reaction feeling if they're staring at you or tensing up Um, I think that's a big part of it because you know for the most part because we've never really met in person you don't have that 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 draw to society the draw to please and Things like that. And that feeling of guilt and shame because you're not within crowd because I'm just looking at 40 little boxes, it you know?
0: Did, yeah, the feeling goes unfeathered.
1: And I think that that, you know, like I said, expands kind of to the general population because we are even more so now on social media, especially a few months ago when we were really in the midst of the lockdown and people, you know, one, are struggling so much right now because the pandemic has brought up a lot of issues with mental health. Um, and I think having... The online space makes people more open because they're not in a crowd. They're not in a classroom. But in general, like I said, I think it's the conversation has become a lot more popular now than it was even back when I was in high school or middle school. Like people are talking (laughs) about it all the time. You know, we have this podcast, and there's, like I said, Stigma Free USC Week. There's classes like this. There's communities out there that are making it okay to talk about. And people are, you know, as soon as you open up, you feel that connection. You know, as soon as we started talking in our class, I was, like, so locked in to the community we've built. Um, I think that's just the, the big piece of it is, and like Nate said, the necessity, because we're all struggling, and I think people are finally realizing that, you know, I think the pandemic put a, pushed a lot of people kind of off the off the edge, so to speak, I guess, with it.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with you that a lot of this stuff that we do, and for me also, you know, since I'm pretty candid about my own mental health struggles, it is a lot easier um, to do, um, you know, through a computer where you don't have to feel the heat radiating, radi- like radi- radiating off the face of somebody who's blushing and people can turn their cameras on and off, you know, when things get too much. Uh, or, you know, people can just sit out a conversation and not have to worry about body language and and, uh, and eye contact. Uh, um, and, but, but the other kind of really wonderful thing about, um, you know, doing this all online is because it does feel a little safer Um, and a little more controlled, I think it sort of gets the ball rolling. One person will raise their hand or just jump in and share something. And then, you know, some people will start to nod their heads and someone will say, yeah, me too in the chat. And and before you know it, everybody uh, lets their the boundaries down a little bit and, and develops trust. And um, I've always been struck by something that the uh, psychologist and TED talk giver, uh, Brene Brown said, who's done a a lot of research on, on, on shame, especially uh, shame and, and, and masculinity. And she said that Compassion is the solvent of shame when you feel that you are cared for and seen and, and felt, it, it dissolves that, that shame and that kind of humiliation that you feel. And um, so, you know, I think anything that, that can promote compassion, um, it, you know, is just incredibly healing um and uh yeah i feel really blessed to be teaching this class um you know because there's just an awful lot of um just kindness and uh generosity and trust um and um that's a very inspiring thing to 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 see and a very privileged thing to kind of witness and participate in
0: so uh another question that we had for you was uh we talk about um the, I guess the power of change in this podcast a lot, and I guess the fear that kind of goes along with it because I mean that's it's like a really like, it's like a deep down rooted fear. But part of ch-
1: fear is usually shame or guilt.
0: Yeah, it's like it, it's like the hardest thing is accepting that there needs to be change and then actually acting on it. So, in your opinion, I guess um, what are some of the most I guess important things to consider when you're trying to overcome that uh, that fear of change or shame
2: oh wow that's a, that's a big question so um, fear of change um, i guess what i would say and this is something that i've learned just from you know kicking around on this planet for half a century yeah. but but also from uh, my readings in 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 buddhism which have really kind of influenced my approach to to mental health is that change is happening all the time change is gonna happen whether you want it to or not uh, and you are going to change whether you want it or not the only question the only choice you really have is what kind of relationship you're gonna end up having with that change, Um, whether it's gonna be a a relationship based on sort of resistance and aversion and denial, or whether it's gonna be a relationship based on acceptance and and, and flexibility and and graciousness. and I just want to say it's, it's not easy, right? I think the, the first important thing about thinking about uh, um, acceptance, it's simple, but it's really, really hard. Um, especially if um, the change that's in question is either something that's happening to you that's out of your control somebody dies, somebody breaks up with you, you get in an accident or, you know, your your life savings get wiped out or, you, you, you know, you get a disease. Um, or if it's something that you know you need to change, you know, I need to eat better or exercise or, or um, apologize to that person who I hurt and I know I was in the wrong, whatever the, 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 the change is, it is hard, right? And the first step to making that change is just to acknowledge that and sit with it and be okay with it. Say, wow, just really, Fucking sucks because things do, right? Um, and a lot of a lot of the distress and suffering we experience in life is unavoidable. Um, that's what the Buddha called the first noble truth, right? There is suffering. Um, but the second noble truth is that there is a lot more suffering than there has to be. There is unnecessary suffering and most of that suffering um, tends to come about because we want things to be different than they are. Um, We don't want to get a B in the class, we don't want to have put on 20 pounds during the pandemic, we don't one you know to uh have to graduate and go out and earn a living you know whatever it is we don't want to have tinnitus or we don't want to have a you know a shoulder injury um and those things suck enough as it is right um but when you dig in your heels and you start pushing back against something as immovable and non-negotiable as reality, um, then you create a lot more suffering. So I'd say the the first thing about change is really just to acknowledge how hard it is and cut yourself some slack. And I'll just mention one other thing. And uh, this is something that I learned from a a wonderful um, therapist named uh, um, Raphael Kushner, who who does sort of a Gestalt therapy. I did a a workshop with him a couple of years ago that was just really kind of mind blowing. And he... um, He has this idea, uh, he calls risk the dreaded experience. Um, And what he means by that is when you're contemplating a a change, either a change you're going to initiate or a change that you just have to come to terms with, oftentimes we entertain a, a kind of a nebulous boogeyman kind of, Fear that lurks just out of sight, that terrifies the bejesus out of us, um, so much so that we, we just, you know, we just kind of peek through our fingers and, and can't actually look at it, and we become convinced that we'll die, our life will be over, we'll be completely ruined, we'll be washed up, everything is gonna go wrong and nothing will ever go right again. And uh, what Kushner wants to suggest is that anxieties about what might happen in the future, especially when we're confronting change, which can be really unnerving at the best of times, um, is almost always more terrifying then what actually happens, what's really out there waiting for you, and he had this little exercise that he made the people in the workshop do, it was just infuriating, <laughs> and also so awesome. Each person said what they were most afraid of doing or having to confront, and he says, well, what are you worried about? And people would say, well, Um, my life would be over and he would say, be more specific. And they'd say, well, I'll probably get fired from my job. And then he'd say, so what would happen then? Would you die? No, it'd be really hard. Like, because I I will never get another job. And he'd say, never get another job. Well, yeah, I get another job, but it wouldn't be as good as this one. And he'd say, and would you die from that? And basically what it does is he wears down your your resistance to magnifying anxiety out of control. It's a kind of a cliche, right? The, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But what he wants to suggest is that a lot of the reason why we resist change is because we imagine that it will entail something that will destroy us. um, And it very rarely does. So um, accept that change is difficult and risk the dreaded experience would be the two um, suggestions that I I would would offer.
1: I love that. That reminds me very much of a quote that I have I think I said on the podcast probably five gajillion times, and it's the quote that I just completely got me through life. I think I first saw it on like Tumblr in 2013, way back or something. But it was and I can't remember who it's by, and I this probably isn't the right wording, but it's basically that you have to feel that shitty thing, you have to just feel it and accept it and embrace it for a moment, and then you have to let it go, and you can't let it consume you. And I think about that all the time because that was very much exactly kind of what you said is that you just have to embrace it because it's not going to go away um, and you're only going to make it worse or stall it out the more you're scared of it. And recently I read, I'm always reading things online and completely forgetting how or where I've ever stumbled upon it again, <laughs> but it was basically a concept of like th- in mysticism kind of, of the Wheel of Fortune, not the game show, but the Wheel of Fortune it's basically just a concept that life rests on this wheel of fortune and it's just good and bad things and the good and the bad it's in the little circle and you're just riding the wheel and good things are going to happen and you have to live in the moment and accept it and bad things are going to happen but you're not stuck there the wheel never gets stuck you know and sometimes you're hanging upside down by your toes and it sucks it's so bad but it'll go right back up again if you have the patience to endure it and the 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 willpower to keep your mind in the right place through it all. Because, um, you know, life, you know, if it's if it's n- if it's it's not better, if things aren't good, it's not the end, you know? It's never the end when things are bad. Um, and I think, you know, we're creatures of hyperbole. We like to blow things out of proportion, and we like to make everything seem like it's so much worse than it is. I mean, the number of times I've sat in this room just, like, sobbing mm-hmm. over, like, the most minor significance to Nate or Finn is innumerous and I'm always just blowing things out of proportion right and I think that's it's you know it's not the change that's so scary it's how we perceive it it's what we're making it we're not we're not very realistic people these days I don't think
0: um no yeah I, I agree and I like and I like what you said about you know I mean it's absolutely true and when you when you were talking about how like you know biggest thing that we have to fear is fear itself and just that like self-perpetual snowball effect like you said again with like this that growing and it's like the you're creating your own anticipation when in reality it's like more than the actual thing itself uh it reminded me uh i've listened to and i actually just bought his book uh jordan uh, peterson i brought him up a couple times in the podcast but uh and what you were saying reminded me about uh, what he was talking about when it comes to goals and, you know, when, you, like, when people fall into the trap of, like, you know, kind of laziness, so, like, you know, self-unworthiness, you know, just lack of motivation in general. And, and when you were talking about that exercise, like, like really just asking what. And, like, you know, if you go up to the person who, who feels like they're lost and doesn't have a purpose, you ask them what do they, like, what do you want? Sort of like to my Where very I'm much down. exactly like very much like a question like what are you afraid of and then once you I- identify that thing that seems so big he was like you know if you find if you find yourself like not being able to take the first step because I feel like that's the hardest part is like that that build up to just just you know taking the leap like do the smallest possible thing that you know for sure that you can accomplish and then that'll just lead you to the next small thing that you know you can a thousand percent accomplish. So like it, it, it really is like you know, and that's what's kind of gotten that. That's what's kind of gotten me through a lot of times like that. You just got of, like you really just gotta break it down to something that you know that you cannot fail at. But then you be like, oh, I'm like you. Know, because I feel it's like baby I'm, steps because I feel like, you know, sometimes even if I try, like I'm still going to fail. I was like, well, let's do something that I know for sure I'm not going to screw up. Let's log onto my computer. All right. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's know? how
1: far we get today. And that's a, that's a trick for so many things. I mean, anxiety is a big one, you know, narrowing down the things you're scared of and like, you know, whatever. So be it. And like whenever I was going through really bad depressive periods. That's what got me out of it, you know, instead of making some lofty goal that I'm going to wake up at eight and work out and make this nutritious breakfast and do all my homework. My goal for the day was just to get out of bed and to drink coffee or eat literally anything. I think I used to eat like Raw ramen noodles for breakfast or something. Ugh, I know it was why? bad, but it was a little. <laughs> There's thing. no need. It was a little thing. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, yeah. be. I cannot get to the point of making the ramen, but <laughs> I'd eat the raw ramen. You know, it's it's baby steps, and I think that, especially you know, in the culture we live in, it's so, uh, based on reward and uh, achievements and.
0: Well, it's like immediate gratification. Immediate I gratification
1: is, is a huge thing. It's you know, who's got the best job? You know, who has the hottest significant other or who is doing the most and traveling the most it's always the most you know it's all these big lofty things and whenever you're trying to you know fit in go with the flow it's like well I want to do all these giant big lofty things no like that's not how you're going to get there that's not how you ever achieve any goal Um, you know it's baby steps everything is just baby steps and people tend to tend to completely miss that and just go straight for the big goal And then get, you know, feel shame and guilt and, like, a failure because they're not reaching it. Um, And it goes the same with change, you know. Um, So I think we'll hit one more question for you um, before we kind of wrap up. So we did an episode where we talked about our favorite books um, and the power books can have in terms of, like, helping you better understand yourself and feelings. And that's kind of what your class is all about is how these books that we've read – can help us better frame our feelings or understand things. In that episode, my favorite book that I talked about was the um Mark Oh gosh, I don't think it's Mark Hansen. The Hansen book, The One Thing at a Time Practice. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that one, that one. Yeah, yeah. That I talked about <laughs> incessantly for like
1: 3 weeks. That was the book I picked. Um and you know, we just talked about how getting that fresh perspective from reading a book can really open your mind. Um, and help you understand yourself and help you understand other people because you're out of your own head you're experiencing someone else's thoughts and feelings so our question for you is if you could give our listeners any one book recommendation which I know is so hard because I'm I'm a book reader and if you asked me to pick my favorite book I couldn't and you're an English professor so it's even worse but if you could give our listeners one book recommendation what would that be?
2: Uh, Sure. And I have a stack this high behind the laptop that you can't (laughs) see of all of the books that I could choose. But I think the one that I want to uh, recommend is um, it's a kind of an atypical book. It's not exactly a self-help book. It's not exactly a a psychology book, Um, but it's called... um, Say What You Mean, uh, A Mindful Approach to uh, Nonviolent Communication, uh, by Oren J. Sofa. And um, so the goal of this book is to teach people to um, to hear one another and to speak to one another in ways that do no harm. <laughs> um, and you might think, well, what does that mean? Like kind of don't call someone an asshole or, or flip them off as you finish the conversation. Well, obviously that that's a kind of a, a, a violence, um, but what's what SOFA is interested in, um, is how to how to create ways of interacting that are um, attentive and curious and kind and non-judgmental. Um, he has a a wonderful phrase, I'm not sure if it's in this book or whether it's in something else that he wrote, that he calls predatory listening. Predatory listening is when you are in a conversation and you are just waiting for somebody to say something that you can attack. You're just waiting to take offense. You're just waiting to feel disrespected you know that's dr jackson to you (laughs) you know um and predatory listening is just one of a repertoire of ways in which we communicate on autopilot we often think of conversations as just waiting to speak you let somebody talk and then you you so and then you say what you want to say Some people see conversations as just a zero-sum game. Every conversation is an argument that has to be won. Um, Some people use conversations as a way to dominate or or to hurt or to disparage. And I'm sure you've had the experience, and and I have too, of having a long conversation with someone and... the end of it feeling like you haven't been heard at all you haven't been seen at all or the other way around sometimes you have a conversation with someone and you're just zoning out and thinking about what happens next um most of who we are and most of how we exist in the world takes place through talk whether it's interaction between people or whether it's the kind of the chatter that goes on in our heads, self-talk um, And uh, again, most of that tends to be very automatic and not especially thoughtful. Um, so uh, Sofa, uh, the author, combines uh, psychology, um, and communication studies and mindfulness practices that grow out of Buddhism um, and sort of smooshes them all together in this very practical way to try and um, get people to really connect with the people they encounter, to listen thoughtfully and respectfully and to um, speak compassionately and open-mindedly. And um, I think it's um, in a very busy, busy world, especially when we do most of our talking with our thumbs on our phones, um, it's a kind of a skill that gets left behind sometimes. So, um, SOFR actually offers free online classes four times a year that you can take online. They're live. You a Zoom session, hundreds of people log in. And uh, um, so you can actually take a class with him. If you're you're curious, I think the next one's coming up in, in June. They normally last six weeks. They're completely free. Um, and um, I've done a couple of them and we'll do many, many more, I suspect. So um, that's, that's the book that I would ballyhoo of all of the, the the piles that I have and have read.
1: Well, now I want to read it. Yeah, seriously. That I just went annoying. to the bookstore today, but I may have to take a second trip
0: back because I went to the good old online Amazon bookstore last night.
1: <laughs> I drive myself. It's full retail
0: therapy. The music on the way there. I didn't know there was a book. I didn't, didn't know there was a bookstore to go to. I it would right on my way to work.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on today. That was phenomenal. As always, you always just make me think about life more than I already do. And I love it. Um, Always such great points. And, you know, I never want the class to end. So maybe we'll just have to keep bringing you on the podcast so you can't escape me.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: But thank you so much for coming on today. Um,
0: And also nice meeting you. Yes, finally.
2: Kenzie, and and nice to meet you, Nate. Uh, It's been a real pleasure.
1: That is all we have for you today, folks. Um, As always, check out our social media at the Daily Dose Podcast on Instagram. Lots of fun content. I say that always, but there's always fun content. So go check it out.
0: And if you haven't had the chance, go ahead and check out our episode from last week. I think it's going to be talking about our last guest, Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of our thoughts and summarizing that. So be sure to, yeah, a little recap. So be sure to check that out.
1: Yeah. And keep looking forward to new episodes every Sunday and very much looking forward to having some more guests in the future. Um, Thank you, Dr. Jackson, again for coming on. Um, And we will see you next time, guys.